You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. Hello and welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast where we believe that there is no algorithm for leadership, and so we interview great sports coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us be better leaders. Our great coach on this episode is Rhonda Ravel. Rhonda is an American softball coach and former collegiate pitcher. As a player, she represented the University of Nebraska and played in the team at the inaugural Women's College World Series. She transitioned into coaching in 1986 and in 1993 became the head coach of her alma mater. She has gone on to record over 1,000 career wins across her 31 years as a coach, including three Big 12 conference tournament wins and one Big 10 tournament victory. She has also led the team to the NCAA tournament on 20 occasions and three times to the Women's College World Series. Rhonda is a leader with a deep sense of self and connectedness. In this insightful interview, some of the highlights for me were the three questions she asks herself every day. Have I helped someone today? Have I worked to make deep connections today? And in my response to others, did I choose love? But also how these questions have changed since her coaching style was publicly challenged. The story she shares about the work the team did on feedback routines and how they role-played having difficult conversations so they were more prepared for them when they occurred. 
and her view that leadership is dealing with shades of grey, and how she works with the team's leadership group to help them develop their decision-making skills in this area. This was a great conversation with Rhonda, and I hope you enjoyed as much as we did. And just before we go to the interview, if you like what we do here at The Great Coaches, then head over to our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com, where you'll find loads of exclusive audio and video content that you can download and share with your own teams. It's designed to bring a different context to the challenges that your teams might be facing. You can also sign up for our newsletter, which we publish every week, that brings together the best ideas that we find from the interview guests that we have on the podcast. And now, please enjoy our interview with Rhonda Ravel. You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Rhonda Ravel, good evening, my time. Good morning, your time. And welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Well, very excited to have you here. And I, you live in a, a lovely part of the world. Well, it's where one of my favorite Bruce Springsteen albums comes from. But perhaps I'll let you tell us all, firstly, where are you in the world and what have you been up to so far today? Where I'm... I am in the world is in the middle of the United States in Lincoln, Nebraska. We're right, like if you look at the map, it's like we're like the center point. And we call it the heartland because when you think about the heart, it's right in the center. And that's where we are. Well, fantastic. So looking forward to chat all things softball with you today. And I wanted to start actually by name checking a couple of the great coaches that I know you've had firsthand experience with. There's Kathy Strong and Mike Candrea. And I'm sure there's been many, many others on your journey as well. But Rhonda, from this experience up close with these people, what is it you think the great coaches do differently that sets them apart? Well, I'll, I'll start with Kathy because I actually had the opportunity to coach with Kathy for four years. I was her assistant coach and recruiting coordinator at San Jose State University, where she was the head coach. And I think what made Kathy brilliant, she's now retired, that's why I say what made her brilliant as a coach, was that she empowered the people around her to do their job. She didn't micromanage, you know, she here I am, a young assistant coach, and right out of the gate, she wanted me to be the recruiting coordinator, and I really didn't have too much experience. Now, she would give me guidance, but she let me go and create my own system, and it was at a time, Paul, where we shared the same office, and, you know, our personalities were really different. I remember one day, we're sitting there, and we're having lunch, and she said to me, she goes, you know, Rhonda, I don't quite know how you do it, and I said, how I do what? She goes, you're highly organized, but our methods are so different because here we office together. And she goes, I'm glad that I know you're highly organized because if I only saw how you organize yourself, it's so different from me. It would, it would make me anxious, but I've learned that there's proof in the pudding and your pudding is pretty good with your organization. And so I always thought that was funny, but I think that she just, she let me grow. She let me cut my teeth. She let me grow. She was always there as a guide, but I think that was one of the things that made her a great coach. And then Coach Candrea, I've listened to him and he was gracious enough to allow me as a young head coach at Nebraska, our staff took two trips to Tucson, Arizona at the University of Arizona, spent multiple days there in the fall, just watching their practice, him giving up his time, answering questions. And, but he really embodied being a lifelong learner. And so when we were asking to learn, 
of course, he's going to say yes, because that's who he is himself as a lifelong learner. So he's all about sharing. He's always been a great sharer of information. He's one that says there are no secrets. And then I think overall, both of them, you know, I've always said the great leaders that I've studied, they said they tend to have two things that I think are really unique. And, and you can go through all the buzzwords that they work hard and all that. But there are two things that I think make them great leaders, great leaders that are sort of off the beaten path. And one is I think that they are authentically the best version of themselves and they work on that very in, intentionally and dil- diligently. And I think that we've probably all misstepped a time or two. Like we have someone that we want to emulate as a leader, but it doesn't really fit with our personality and our style. And so it's kind of like a, you know, square peg in a round hole, and then you have to back up and rework it. And I think they both did that really well. And then that leads into my second thing, Paul, and I really think great leaders have a mastery of self. And I, you know, that takes a lot of self-awareness, but I think in order to be a better leader, a better coach, you have to know yourself really well and what your triggers are, what motivates you, what demotivates you and on down the road. I'm really looking forward to talking to you about mastery of self, but I'd like to go on a bit of a journey actually, before we get to that question, because there's so much context that's important in your story. And if my research is right, you were writing lineups, softball lineups on napkins at age nine. So clearly you've been wanting to coach from a very early age. Was there a person or an experience that ignited this spark in you to want to coach, to want to lead? I think so. I think it was my father. And the reason I say I think so is because when I was writing those lineups on napkins, I was the bat girl of my father's men's fast pitch team. So he was still playing at the time. He wasn't coaching, but he was coaching junior high football. So he was coaching. So he later became our coach. He retired from playing and became our coach. But clearly, I was already writing lineups before he ever coached me. So I think sometimes, just like with anything, there's it's just innately in you. Like our personalities, I think, are formed very early. But I think, you know, I, I would, I need to say this in the United States, we're celebrating the 50th year of Title IX and we're at the University of Nebraska. We're celebrating it all year with different events. Well, when at age nine, the reason I was the Batgirl, Paul, is because I couldn't play sports. Only the boys could. So the way I got to practice and train was that my dad's fast pitch practice as the Batgirl, I would shag balls. I would pitch off on the sidelines. I would see these men that were fast pitch pitchers and I just wanted to emulate them. And it, I pitched for four years before I was ever able to pitch in a game by age 12, I could pitch in a game. So not all is lost because four years of training wasn't a bad thing, but I think I was always so passionate about sport and then softball became, I don't know. I just fell in love with it when my dad played that my, my brain was just constantly working. And so I was writing lineups because guess what? A napkin was what was available because it was usually the morning of a game and we were at breakfast. So I could write on a napkin. And then secondly, I had an opinion and I wasn't afraid to share it. And I remember I was coaching at Nebraska. We were in Seattle playing the University of Washington. My dad's old manager came down. He gave me a ball when they won the state championship 
I had my autograph on it along with all the players. And as he handed it to me, he said, you know, you always had an opinion and you were always writing lineups. Tell me what you thought. He goes, but the good news is we both usually were writing the same lineup. The one exception might've been that I might've always had my dad a little higher in the lineup than he would have had him. I was, I always had him hitting in the three hole. And of course the three hole is the most important spot. I do know that after preparing for today's interview. Now, Rhonda, I have this great quote from you and you say, I'm a person that likes to think that in order to be successful at being intentional and being diligent, I have to work from the inside out. And it, it really caught my eye when I read it. And it made me wonder, in a normal week, do you have any routines that you use to try and improve yourself from the inside out? Yeah, thank you for asking that question. It kind of goes back to that mastery of self, right? With the scoreboard being such a, an important part of how you're measured or how you retain your employment, you have to do a lot of check-ins. And I think those check-ins happen really from the inside out. So you could be in corporate, you could be in the corporate world and you've got measurables too. But I just think that if we don't constantly, and sometimes, you know what, Paul, some weeks it's a weekly check-in, some days it's minute by minute. And we have to be aware of that too. So the answer is yes. I try to have daily check-ins and I, I do it in several forms. I, I I believe there's really four pillars, the mental, the emotional, the physical, and the spiritual. And I'll start with the physical because it actually is probably the easiest, even though it's hard, but physically doing something for myself, and usually it comes in some form of exercise. I just feel like sweat, even if it's walking, walking, lifting, stretching, yoga, whatever it might be, it just sort of cleanses the soul and renews. And it's, it's a gift you give to yourself. And I think anytime you pour into yourself, then you have more to give out. Mentally, I think that's really a testament of, of really working on having right thoughts and doing that in a way that, you know, you're, you're mindful of your thoughts and not only how they impact you, but how they impact others. I think our brains are wired toward the negative or the what can go wrong. I think we have to be counterintuitive to, to really get to a productive place with our brain. I liken it. I, I ride bikes a lot and I liken it to on a bike ride, riding downhill is very easy. That's a negative thought. It's very easy. Riding uphill builds muscle, but it's harder. That's the positive. That's the flipping. So it's going to build muscles, but we have to work at it. And you have to keep pedaling to ride uphill and you don't have to keep pedaling to go downhill. And so I think that's the mental, the emotional, I think is the emotional is kind of a catch-all. And, you know, so in the emotional, some days that's just a check-in. And then other days it's like, I need to journal. I need to talk. Everybody has their own way that they try to need to get their emotional equilibrium back. Sometimes it's just understand I'm being emotional. And guess what? I just need to do a little bit of breathing or a little mindfulness work or whatever. And then the spiritual, that's different for everybody. For me, it's a part of my faith walk, but I think that the world comes at us so much that we need to do things that, that pour into us. Rhonda, I want to talk about becoming a head coach at the age of 29, because that is young, uh, especially in the context of American athletics. Mm -hmm. Three seasons later, the Huskers are back in the NCAA. And then three years after that, 
back in the Women's College World Series. So in six years, you managed to really elevate that program. And I was wondering, what were some of the early decisions that you made that drove the improvement? You know, you look back at it now, having as much experience as I do now and go, wow, there was just a little luck there. But I think with luck, sometimes you can point to reasons why. And I, I think some of the things that we, and I say we, because I've coached with Lori Sipple my entire career that we did right, is that first of all, we just had a passion uh, for Nebraska, for Nebraska softball. We're both alumni. And that was was like a burning fire. Secondly, I think I just had an innate knowledge that I needed to surround myself with people that had more experience and more wisdom. And I needed to not be afraid to ask really important questions. So there, Lori played women's major ball for a gentleman by the name of Roger Dawes. Roger Dawes gave me some really important information and they had won national championships. And he said to me, Rhonda, when we were working to build our program into something special, I had to take some risks. And what he meant by that is I had to do a talent acquisition. And maybe, you know, 10 years from 10 years from that point, that same talent acquisition I wouldn't take because the risk and what they I might have had to work through with them as an academic student or socially, uh, it wouldn't be worth it. But at this point in time, if I, as long as I weighed the risk and thought I could manage the risk that you got to get some talent, you got to get some talent in your skilled positions and in our sport that's pitching. And so that's, was the focus there. And then from some of my other uh, coaching mentors, you know, coach Tom Osborne was our football coach and, and Terry Pettit was our volleyball coach. And they just built, built really strong programs on you roll up your sleeves and you develop the players that you have and you develop them from the ground up and from the head down. And so we really, you know, in the sport of softball and baseball, there's a lot of time in between pitches. So we really worked on developing um, their mind and bringing in sports psychologists to help with that. And, and back, you know, 30 years ago, there wasn't a lot of that going on. So that really helped us separate ourselves. And then on the physical, we just really honed in on the fundamentals, but we also tried to, you know, make it game-like and pack it with pressure. So I think early on, our teams were really known right out of the gate that, you know, if you're going to beat Nebraska, you're going to have to beat them because they're not going to beat themselves. And I think that's a great quality to have in the competitive arena. Rhonda, one of your mentors, the late Dr. Hebner, gave you some interesting advice about feedback and how to work with that. Can you tell us about that? Dr. Hibner had a lot, so many nuggets of wisdom that were just pure gold. And you might actually hear it, you know, just walking down the hall with her. It it wasn't like all these big set down meetings, but this piece of information that you're referring to, Paul, I believe that you're referring to was actually so important in my life that when I got the opportunity to eulogize her within our athletic department and also in her home, home state of Pennsylvania, I talked about it because she always said that there are only 20% of the people that give 80% of the feedback. And she said, Rhonda, make sure that you're in that 20% because that feedback is so important and it's in, it, it will help you grow and it will also help you grow others. If you're always focused on giving good and constant feedback. 
And can you give us an example, Rhonda, of some good feedback that you've received in the last year or so that's helped you grow and develop? Yeah, and, and I also want to tell you how I've leaned into, even when she said that, I think of mantras that I have for myself. If you see it, say it. Because a lot of times people see things and they don't say it. And that's, that's one easy, nice way that you can just give feedback or simply saying things out loud. So that's something that's blossomed out of me from, and I repeat that a lot. If you see it, you say it. If you see it, you say it. it takes the mystery away. You know, it, where, where silence is, miscommunication or negativity can fill in. And if you see it and say it, you, it, just, it just saves a lot of heartache most of the time. But I think probably most recently, some of the best information that I've been given is just keep using my voice and keep sharing your truth. I think that as you experience life and the richness of life through the ups and the downs, when you have the ability to sort of reflect on it and then be able to articulate it in a way that, again, is helpful to others, I think people not only welcome that, but they long for it. Because one of my greatest joys, Paul, is when I can have someone, doesn't matter if they're a teenager or you know, somebody later in life that is able to say, you know, when you said this to me, it really impacted me. That's one of my greatest joys because, you know, you just, you want to be able to help others on their path because life is hard. Rhonda, there's been many of your players who have gone on to be coaches themselves. And some of the most notable ones, of course, are MJ Knight and Kiki Stokes and Courtney Breon. Mm -hmm. When these players come and they talk to you about wanting to become coaches one day, what are the top skills you advise them to start developing? Well, the funny part about that is none of them have come to me and had the initial conversation about being coaches one day. We've actually seen something in them that we thought, oh, they could be a great coach. And so I probably, again, back to what we just talked about. If you see it, you say it. So I started planting seeds in all of those and others very early, even in their playing career. And so many and most, actually stayed in our program after they were done competing and they did, you know, internships or they, they were our volunteer coach or they were going to grad school and being our grad manager or grad assistant. And so during that time, it became really fertile soil for them planting seeds about if they want to do this, how they want to go about it, who they want to be as a coach. Cause again, remember they've got to be authentically who they are, but the best advice that, I've given them before they've gotten into coaching or we've given them before they've gotten into coaching as they've been in our program, immerse yourself in all aspects, learn as much as you can, be curious, continually be curious. So how we go about setting our travel schedule, how we go about setting our schedule, how do you order food? I mean, all the things off the field. And I think that's probably the biggest thing when people take on a new profession, they think about the you know, the, the center of it, but they don't think about all the things that go into making it happen. So that's been our biggest advice. And then they listen, they hear you, but when they get that first coaching job, man, your phone can't ring fast enough because now they know exactly what you're talking about. But I think that's probably the biggest thing. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Rhonda, you talked about empowering at the start when you were talking about great coaches. And I know it's also something that you focus on quite a lot with your team. In fact, I have another quote from you I'd like to read before I ask the question. And you say, I just think that anytime you can give a young person something and let them have ownership of it, now you're still going to check in and meet and make sure that you're mentoring, but I just think it helps everything blossom. And I was intrigued to ask you, when it comes to empowering people, giving them this ownership, planting these seeds perhaps in their mind, what are some of the tips that you've got around the ways that it can work really well? Well, I think of the phrase, this is interesting. We just had our parents meeting this past weekend. And I actually said to our parents, I believe the best teams that I've ever either played on or been a part of in one fashion or another as a coach have always been player empowered teams. And oftentimes you say player led and that's correct too, but player empowered, that's a different kind of leadership. I believe that in order to have players that are empowered, you need, they need to have a voice. And in order to have a voice, the coaches or the leadership group within the team have to provide an atmosphere where they would have a voice. So whether it's in asking questions, seeking their feedback, or literally giving them the opportunity to make decisions. Now, I'm not saying that they make decisions that the head coach should be making, but you're always constantly looking for ways that you can stretch and grow them as leaders. And anytime they then make leadership decisions, increases their confidence. And we understand fundamentally that growth happens right outside the comfort zone. So you just keep reaching a little further. You make them, make them squirm a little bit in their decision-making. You ask them some questions. You ask them to be a part of a decision that maybe is tough because they realize, they start to realize that in leadership, there are lots of shades of gray and not everything's black and white. So for instance, in the college, we have very few rules in our handbook. We have a lot of standards and our, our players in building our culture, Paul, have created, we call it above the line standards and below the line standards. They are 100% the authors of the criterias for our above the line standard with our with all of it. But we have three categories. We talk about our team during competition. So that's competition on playing days or practice days, our team with regarding relationships, relationships with teammates, staff, coaches, and then also our social behavior off the field that could impact 
our ability to maximize our team experience. And they are 100% authors of that. And they continually are empowered to look at that and have touch points with that. And they do this with our sports psychologists. And then they, they get back to us about it. So always looking for ways to empower them. We do a thing with our team captains called building relationships, one cup of coffee at a time. And so we'll have monthly gatherings and we do it at a local coffee shop. And we, you know, it's kind of an open agenda, but in that open agenda, I'm a big believer and I'll go back to how I started helping them find their voice. Well, the best way I've found to help people find their voice, their voice of opinion, their voice of maybe thinking about something that they never thought about, maybe thinking about something differently is in our in our ability to ask thoughtful questions that will get people moving in a good direction. Rhonda, I want to pick up a little bit on culture and sports psychology and asking good questions, things that you mentioned then, because I understand that, of course, last season you won the Big Ten tournament, but I've heard you talk about the fact that going into the season, the team worked with a sports psychologist and used fresh eyes to evaluate the team culture. Could you tell us about that process and how it unfolded? Well, the reason that we needed fresh eyes to evaluate the team process is, you know, I think if you're anywhere for any amount of time, you have ebb and flow. And we were, we had kind of reached a down cycle. And in order to come up out of that down cycle with the same coaching staff and many of the same players, we had to reset and we needed fresh eyes. And so enter Dr. Mariah Bullock, who is a fabulous sports psychologist that works here at the University of Nebraska. What we did is we did a poll. She did a poll of the student athletes. First of all, we had to know that we were motivated to head back up and be in an upward cycle, that we were motivated from all the players, through the coaches, through the staff. And so we had that set. We knew that that we had a high motivation level there. So that was great. So then she sent out basically a survey and asked the players for feedback of things that they thought needed to be discussed could be obstacles or barriers in us achieving goals and that things that they wanted to work on with her. And the two big things that came back, Paul, were that we needed to set some concrete goals that we were checking in early and often on, and they needed her help to frame those in a way that were challenging and yet realistic. And then the second thing is They really felt like if we were going to maximize our culture, understanding that not everybody plays, but we wanted to have the hard conversations about not only accepting your role, but embracing your role and maybe how your role could change and alter as the season goes on. And then the other thing was even expanding the role into your purpose. So kind of going into that, like what's your purpose? purpose on this team. And that could extend beyond the borders of just you as the athlete, but you as the full integration into the team as a person. And I thought that that was really marvelous. I've, I've often taught, told Dr. Mariah, as we've looked back on our season, that I think that was one of the most significant things we did. And we spent a whole month on it. Uh, and the, the coaches were involved with part of it and the coaches weren't involved with part of it, but part of what the coaches were involved with is she put together role-playing scenarios to how you wanted to receive feedback. You know, we talk about feedback. 
how the player wanted to receive feedback, how the coach appreciated some feedback and what that looked like. And even how each player, like some people needed a little softer. Some people want you to be really blunt. So we, we did some really hard work there and guess what? Coaches, I mean, we we had them put in writing how they wanted to receive feedback too, and we role played it. And I referred to that during the season a couple of times because I thought it was really important. You get at critical moments, and I wanted to handle them well. And I had to remind some of the players that look, I want to do what you need for us to do in this situation. And I thought it was really great for them to have to look at it too. But I'm all about. This leadership thing isn't about ego. I mean, there's some ego involved, but it's about all hands on deck doing what's best for the team in the moment because it's constantly, your culture is constantly dynamic and fluid and you have to stay on top of it. And it it bleeds into all those things that we've been talking about earlier, Paul, as a leader about self-mastery and about being the best version of yourself and about doing the check-ins routinely. All of that stuff has to be in place if you're going to be able to be able to be a positive member and a productive member of your culture. It's fascinating listening to you talk about purpose because you've got your 31st season coming up and you're still learning and still trying these, these new ideas when specifically around purpose, when you were listening to the people in your team, the staff, the players, what surprised you most about the purpose that they were articulating? I don't know if it was a surprise, or maybe the surprise of it was or is just how how deep the roots go. And even as we looked back on the season and people reflected on what was the most important thing and the most special thing, it always came back to relationships. It wasn't about the trophy. It wasn't about success. It was about the relationships. It was about the fundamental. It was about the process of investing in one another, the process of being other-centered, the process of having servant leaders at every layer of the organization, and the process about being a team-first player and an empower-led team. I think that entirety of that is what they were articulating to me all the way through. And I love that because I really do believe that we're in the relationship business, but it's not really a business. And one of the other things that has been really important to me, especially again, you know, I talk about coming out of a tough time uh, and just in some ways shifting your perspective a little bit, but in other ways, um, just validating what you've always believed at your core. And I've always believed at my core that I'm coaching softball, not for the sport, but because I have a passion for the sport and I'm able to hopefully be involved in it at a level where the sport can be a vehicle where hopefully I can help a lot of people grow in their life and then also in the sport. Rhonda, you talked about self-mastery at the start and you just referenced then again coming out of a tough time and I don't want to go into that because I think there's been enough written about that I'd like to focus on how you came out of it because in 2019 you took some time to reflect on your own coaching style and as a result there's these three great questions that you now ask yourself every day as a leader and 
I've read about them, but I'd really love to hear about them in your words. Well, I'll go back to before 2019. I had three questions. I've always, you know, I've always anchored to my philosophy and always tried to stay um, very present, very present with the people around me and very present internally. But after 2019, I actually had, and this may be something that you weren't able to find in your research, because I'm not sure I've ever talked about it, but I actually shifted my three questions just a little bit. And I think it's worth talking about. So one of the questions I used to always ask myself is who needs me today? And while I think that's an okay question, I've, I've shifted it to have I helped others today? And as I really reflected on that and dug deep with the words and the impact potentially of even the own question I'm asking myself, I mean, this is my own private question. It's not like I'm going and talking to anybody about it, but have I helped someone today? That feels like that's coming from the inside. And who needs me today feel like felt like it was coming from the outside. So as I talk about working from the inside out, this question have I helped someone today, feels like I'm being more true, I have more integrity towards wanting to work from the inside out. So there's one thing. And then the other question, at the end of the day, I would ask myself again, who still needs me today? So again, that outward focus. And now I'm asking myself, have I worked to make deep connections today? Have I worked to build deep connections today in relationship? That feels more inside. So again, these are just my own Rhonda Ravel to Rhonda Ravel conversations that I've had. And then the third question that I used to ask myself was, if I were someone else, would I have wanted to be coached by me today? And again, I think fundamentally my intent of that question was good. But as I've gone through things in life, I've shifted my perspective a little bit. And now my big one is, in my responses to others today, did I choose love and did I practice and live with gratitude? And what both of those things cause, Paul, is they cause a pause. And I'm not talking about pause like a puppy. I'm talking about P-A-U-S-E, a pause. Because sometimes when we're reflecting or when we're responding to someone, we just do it in the moment. And oftentimes we just need a slight pause. And I'll even say in my head, what is a loving way to respond to this? Even if it's going to have some firmness to it or a little sting to it, am I doing this for them to help them? Or am I doing this because this is my emotion in the moment? So those three questions have shifted just a little bit and I feel like I'm better for it. It's very powerful stuff and it's great self-reflection. And it's so refreshing to hear that you've been able to keep succeeding. I mean, you've had, your teams have had over 1,000 victories, which is, it is mind boggling when you think about it. But it's great to see that you're still able to challenge yourself and reflect. When you were going through the process of refining those questions, did you feel like you needed to amputate or remove any part of yourself? No, in fact, Um, And I don't know how this is going to sound, but I will tell you, you talked about my daily routine and I talked about the mental and the part that I negated and not on purpose, but I'm going to mention it now is I have worked weekly for the last three years 
with a counselor. And the one thing that I think in doing that and what comes out of that is a lot of deep self-reflection. And if anything, I think I've gotten to a truer version of myself at who I really want to be at my very foundational level of my core in my soul, which has really nothing to do with my coaching. It has to do with the standard that I want to conduct my life with and who I want to be from my inside out. So Rhonda, if I could take you back and introduce you to that 29-year-old who was becoming the head coach, knowing what you know now, what you've gone through, would you be able to distill some of that learning down into a message that you want would convey to yourself? I think the good news about that, Paul, is um, in 1997, a long time ago, I actually was inspired to get my coaching philosophy in writing. And when I was inspired to do that, I had no idea that I even needed to do that. But I was asked to speak in a graduate course about my coaching philosophy. And I'm like, oh, I'm not sure I have one. And then what I did was I had about three months lead time before I was going to go speak. I started really thinking about it. And I got it in writing and I was a little older than 29 at that time. However, what I have found is that there are 10 points to it and it's all the same today. Maybe the words have changed a little bit or the emphasis have changed today, but what really makes me feel good internally about that is I think that even as a 29 year old, I didn't understand it in the fullness and the richness that I do now, but it was still in there. And I've just been able to develop it. And so I would go back and tell the 29-year-old, be yourself, develop yourself. A better you makes a better coach. And I think a lot of times we get so caught up in trying to develop all of our skill sets, you know, whether it's in the technical, tactical, but I think that we can never lose sight of developing ourself as a leader, as a mentor as a teacher. Rhonda, you've been very generous with your time and you've given us such a great insight to the development phase you've been through these last five or six years. But I'd like to ask one final question. And before I do, I'd like to preface it with a quote. And you say, I truly believe that if we strive to maximize our best, the greater thing that will be achieved is an understanding of cause and effect, behavior and consequences, reaping what you sow, and deserving every victory in our lives. It's such a powerful statement, but I'd really like to finish by asking what the legacy is that you would like to leave as a coach. That word legacy, I understand it and I use it a lot for others, but even if it's just to be remembered by is that people know without even pausing that I was always trying to do the best I could for the good of the whole, for the good of the team, for the good of the people that were in my circle and whether that's the players or others that I worked with. And and my other hope is that there's, when people think of their time around me, that it gives them some warmth and kind of that smile that you smile with your eyes because you've had some interaction that has been made you feel good. Rhonda, it's been such a great treat spending some time with you tonight. I can't thank you enough for sharing your story with us. It's it's very deep, it's very touching, and it goes a long way to describing 
how you have managed to lead your teams to over 1,000 victories. So I wish you all the best for the coming season. Well, thank you so much, Paul. And also thank you for your investment in creating really rich questions that lead to some robust dialogue. Hi, everyone. It's Mike here. And you've been listening to the great coach, Rhonda Ravel. I hope you get a lot of Rhonda's introspective and self-aware style and found a few ideas that you can bring to your own dinner table, locker room, or boardroom table for discussion. Some of her ideas that resonated with me were how one of the great joys is when someone tells Rhonda about a conversation they had in the past that impacted them and how her mantra of, if you see it, say it, helps her to have these types of conversations. Rhonda's process of checking with herself every day in the mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual space, and how this helps her look beyond the scoreboard to understand how she's really performing, and how the great leaders that Rhonda has experienced have authenticity and mastery of self, which require high self-awareness. And just before we go, if you have any feedback, then please let us know. The interaction with all the people around the world who listen gives us great energy. And all the details on how to connect with us are in the show notes or on our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 